that every day, living in His goodness. We are in part eight of our sermon series, Rebuilding the Church. Um, I'm going to try and do my best to wind up this sermon series here in a couple weeks, maybe three. And uh, I was uh, speaking last week about Nehemiah's vision. Vision's great, but there's a point in time when vision has to become reality. If it doesn't, it's just a dream. It has to become reality, and often, particularly when it comes to the story of Nehemiah, we come to chapter 3, and if you have read chapter 3, and trust me when I tell you I'm not going to, and there's a very specific reason I'm not going to, it's because I can't pronounce all the names. But it, it, it's a lot like those first chapters of Matthew and, and Luke in the New Testament where you have all the begats, you know, and, and it goes back to all the generations that preceded Christ. How many of you skip over those when you, come on now, just be honest, you skip over those in your reading, and, and really they're important, and, and, and the same is true here in Nehemiah chapter number 3. Because the vision that God gave Nehemiah is now set to become a reality. Uh, it, it gives us the most detailed description. You know what? i got to have my Bible. What do I do with my Bible? Who took my Bible? I'm going to rely on you. I'm going to rely on you, Leonard. I've left my Bible somewhere. Isn't that terrible, a preacher leaving his Bible somewhere? Huh? No, no, that's not it. I probably did. But that's okay. Leonard will have the scripture up there for you. I don't have my phone with me either. Now, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I am going to read a couple of verses. It says, Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brother the priest, brothers the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. And on and on and on it goes. Okay? Now, the reason this is important is because even today, modern-day archaeologists use chapter 3 of Nehemiah as a map to help them dig for artifacts from the old city of Jerusalem. Uh, the first two chapters that we've been talking about for the previous seven weeks, they, they've been all about preparing to do the work of God, but now the actual work is set to begin. Nehemiah has been given this assignment from God, and each of us here this morning, today, we should find out our own assignment from God. How many of you know, every one of you in this room this morning, God has a purpose and a plan for? Now, I know, I know some of you are going to say, oh, I had a lady that was 92 in my church in Gainesville, Texas. And she said, Pastor Terry, I just feel so useless because I can't do anything anymore. All I can do is pray. And I thought, man, that's what we need more than anything else. Oh, thank you, Belinda. That's what we need more than anything else. And she began to pray. But not only could she pray, but she could make blueberry cobblers. Homemade blueberries. <laughs> and Grandma Heffley started making blueberry cobblers for every visitor that we had in on Sunday morning. 
She'd call me after church on Sunday and she'd say, do we have any visitors today? I'd say, yeah, we had probably one or two. And I'd name them to her. Well, now you need to understand I'm awfully busy. I don't know how long it'll take me to get those blueberry cobblers made, but I'll, I'll have them for you sometime. So I'd go begin my Sunday afternoon nap. And a couple hours on my phone would ring. I got those cobblers ready, Terry. And I would go and deliver those cobblers to the homes of our visitors. In two years, we doubled the size of our attendance. Who would have thought blueberry cobblers were the key to church growth? Now, it's not obviously the cobblers that were the key. It's somebody making themselves available for God to accomplish the purpose that he yet had for them. She felt like that was a meager thing that she could do. After all, it was her husband that had founded that church 50 or so years before. She felt like she was useless, but God still could use her to accomplish his purposes. Now, let me just switch gears for a moment. Some of you may remember a show on TV back in the 1980s. It was called The A-Team. How many of you remember The A-Team? Now, I loved that show because it was a show that featured a team of ex-special forces soldiers who were on the run from military police. and They were on the run for crimes that they'd never actually committed, I don't believe. And the entire show themed up with, uh, the entire show's theme could be summed up with the phrase, let's blow something up. You remember it? That was all the show was. They were always blowing something up. And, and, and we love the show because most of us love blowing something up every once in a while. Now, the, the best thing about that show, however, in my opinion, was the phrase that that show always ended with. After they would succeed in blowing up whatever it was needed blowing up or, or rescuing whoever needed rescuing after being blown up, the leader of the A-team would always say... I just love it when a good plan comes together. Now, I've chosen that for my sermon title this morning, When a Good Plan Comes Together. Nehemiah could have never completed the work that he had assigned to him by God of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. He could have never done it as quickly as what he did it without a lot of good help and superior organizational skills. Now, I want to talk to you about organizational skills for just a moment. Nehemiah's organizational skills gave him the ability to delegate specific tasks to those whom he had recruited to help him with the rebuilding of these walls. Uh, We we started seeing it there where I finished reading uh, so-and-so did one portion of the wall. So-and-so did another portion. And on it, around, on it went until the entire city of Jerusalem and its walls were encompassed by people whom ne- Nehemiah had delegated to do a specific task in the rebuilding effort. Now, as I said, for your sake and in order not to betray my superior reading skills, I'm not going to read that entire chapter. But, but let me just say to you that... <clears throat> This project by Nehemiah was organized like a Swiss watch. He had superior 
organizational skills. Every person, every group that was involved in this rebuilding project, they knew their place and they knew what was expected of them. Now let me try to apply what I just said to our lives and its importance in our lives today. Let me just begin by saying that I believe 100% in following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't mistake anything that I'm getting ready to say with misunderstanding that I don't believe 100% in following the leading of the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to add this to it. I don't think God expects us to fly by the seat of our pants in building his church. Because I believe that even though we believe 100% in the leading of the Holy Spirit, I believe that the Holy Spirit is powerful enough to work through our organizational skills. Amen? He's big enough he can do that. Uh, I've heard it said, not necessarily here, but in other church settings, that a lot of times it seems as if the Holy Spirit has been programmed out of our services, that we have this order that we're going to follow and we don't allow for the leading or moving of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, And I'll give it to you, that is true in many situations. But that does not negate the fact that God does not want chaos in his church. In fact, he says through the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse number 40, all things should be done decently and in order. There has to be an order. There has to be an organization. So while we desperately need and desperately crave for the moving of the Holy Spirit of God in our midst, the Holy Spirit can move in the midst of our organization of events. God is a God of organization. If you don't believe that, go back to Genesis 1 and start reading. Let me tell you what it says there. In Genesis chapter 1, verse number 2, we are told that as God prepared to create the heavens and the earth, it says the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And catch this. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now that's important. The Spirit of God was overseeing that entire operation. And from the cosmos of stars down to earth, the plant kingdom, the animal kingdom, the human body, the Holy Spirit moved under the direction of God's organization. Now, Perhaps I should add that in order to make that conclusion that God was a God of organization, we have to believe, first of all, that there was an organizer. That organizer was God. God is the one that created all that is. And when we see intelligent design in the universe, it suggests to us that there must have been an intelligent designer. If our bodies weren't organized, they wouldn't function properly. Or likely wouldn't function at all. And the same is true with a spiritual body. The spiritual health of a church is dependent upon organization. Now, the church is special because it's not just an organization. 
It's even better. It's an organism. It is a a live body that has life to it. I've often heard church people say that, that they don't like the business of the church. They don't want to get involved in the business of the church. Well, I understand that. You know, if I had my preference, I'd, I'd much prefer just coming to church and preaching a message and seeing people get saved and then go home and wait for next Sunday to come to do the whole thing over again. I, that'd be my preference. But that's not the way that it works. That's not reality. What if in our physical body, our kidneys decided that they no longer wanted to be involved in the function of what the rest of our body's doing? We'd be in a world of hurt, wouldn't we? The reality of the church is that there is business to take care of. And I look at it this way. It's not just a business, friends. It's God's business. It's God's business. And it's by far the best business in the world. And it deserves, therefore, an organized approach. We need to be good stewards of this business that we call church. Because you know what the business of the church is? Anybody know the answer to this question? The business of the church is people. We are to be bringing people into the kingdom of God. And and the business end of it involves how do we most effectively do that. And if you don't have a plan and you don't have an organization to carry out that plan, you're going to find yourself in a world of hurt. Now, the same is true for our families. There has to be a head of the family. Each member of the family has a role to play in every family. Here comes a rabbit trail. It'll be a short one. Look at our nation today. Do we not see the results of families not being constructed according to God's plan? With, with a dad and a mom working together to raise the kids? Now, I know you're not asking for my opinion, but I'm going to give it anyway. You, you're free to agree or disagree with this. But if I'm given the opportunity to explain the reason behind all these senseless mass shootings in our world today... I'm blaming the increase of those things on the fact that parenting in the home by both a mom and a dad is not being done. Matter of fact, listen to this quote. Children who grow up without a father in the home are five times more likely to live in poverty and commit crime. Nine times more likely to drop out of school and 20 times more likely to end up in prison. They are more likely to have behavioral problems or run away from home or become teenage parents themselves, and the foundations of our community are weaker because of it. I took that quote from a Father's Day speech given by Barack Obama in 2008, and he's exactly right. That the statistics bear it out. But back to the importance of the roles in the family. If, if, if as a dad I let the maintenance go around my house, that house is going to eventually fall in on itself. If, if mom lets the house go to chaos and, and allows hallways to generate into, degenerate into pathways...
everyone's going to be depressed. And when people are depressed, they act out. Friends, our finances need to be organized. Our businesses ought to be organized. And some of us need to just organize our desk. I organized my desk this last week a little bit. I found that there was wood under there. Organization is necessary. Our personal lives need to be organized. They need to be prioritized properly. If not, the result is chaos. And when all else fails, read the directions. God gives us the directions in here. And we've strayed far away from husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives submit to your husbands. We've, we strayed away from that and we wonder why the things are happening that are happening all around us. Little darlings in school that misbehave and the teachers are not allowed to do anything to them. And if they do, the teacher is called in and the parents are brought in wondering why they were so cruel to their little darling. Let me tell you what, friends. You know what I've found in now over 27 years of full-time senior pastor ministry? I've had people who wouldn't let their kids be disciplined as they should have been disciplined, whether it was in school or Sunday school or at home. And when they get 15 or 16 years old and they're out of control, those same parents call my office. Pastor, can you help our kids? We don't know what's wrong with them. They're spinning out of control. I know what's wrong with them. They should have had the rod of correction applied to their gluteus maximus, and it would have made a big difference in their cerebral cortex. There you go. There you go. I'm going to get off on that because some of you already think I'm meddling, but just let me go on and say this. The Bible teaches us that the, bi- that the family is more important than your work. You know how I know that? I've never yet met the person lying on their deathbed saying, man, I wish I'd spent more time working. Never yet. And not only that, but the Bible teaches that there's something more important even than family. And that's the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God has eternal value. Jesus said in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these other things will be added to you. Question. Is God the most important part of your life? If not, you need to organize your life to the place where he is. Trust me when I tell you that. God is a God of superior organization. We ought to strive to do his business in a careful, thoughtful manner with proper priorities put into place, not just living on impulse. This third chapter of Nehemiah, we read verse 2, and it used the word built, which has been translated from a Hebrew word pronounced bana. That word is used on six different occasions in this chapter. And in this story, it literally means rebuilt. And the implication in the usage, uh, usage of that word in the Jewish mindset was this. No new material was needed to rebuild that wall. Now, obviously, the gates that were burned, they required new timber. 
But laying in the rubble of what had been the walls of Jerusalem, they found all the materials that they needed to rebuild the walls. In other words, they didn't need to go and, and find new stuff. Now, that's how it is in building walls for the kingdom of God. It's not by inventing clever new things that we build a church. Jesus' church is being built by holding fast, I believe, to old doctrines that for whatever reason we've allowed to be laid in the rubble and we don't preach them anymore. Hold on with me for just a second. What is it I mean when I speak of old doctrines? Well, Jesus' church in 2019 has, in my opinion, many broken down walls. And if we just raise those walls back up, we'd be miles ahead and seeing the kingdom of God come to pass. Sometimes it means going back to old methods. Now, as you know, I'm all for trying new things. But in principle, even new things still need to be aimed down old pathways. Let me give you a couple of examples so you'll know what I'm talking about. Believe it or not, there are churches that are meeting this morning in our world today that are moving away from the preaching of the Word. They're moving away from the preaching of the Word, saying that people don't have much tolerance when they're told that something is wrong. Well, too bad. If the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. And we shouldn't try to pacify anybody by trying to sugarcoat the truth. Not many of us want to hear about the reality of hell anymore. Even fewer want to hear about what God considers to be sin. Few want to hear about the certain that are going to be judged for their sinful ways. And even fewer want to be told that not everybody's going to go to heaven. Let me tell you something, friends. Not everybody's going to go to heaven. That's just the fact. In fact, the Bible says wide is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. So as a result of all of that, many churches, many preachers have stopped preaching about the reality of hell. They've stopped preaching against what the Bible calls sin. And some today are laying aside preaching altogether. Some churches don't want, even have preaching anymore. They just do drama or videos, or having a service with positive, uplifting music being the focus. Now, now, I like drama, I love music, I love videos, but friends, there is no substitute for the preaching of the Word, the preaching of the truth. The Apostle Paul tells us of its importance in his first letter to the Corinthian believers. He said in verse 17 of chapter number 1, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. He moves on down to verse number 21, and there he says, For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly, that is the foolishness, of what we preach to save those who believe. Paul told Titus in Titus chapter 1, verse number 3, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke. And, and uh, what's the rest of it? 
Help me. Exhort. Thank you. With complete patience. With teaching. The latter part of that verse talks, I, I emphasize the word teaching. Teaching what? Teaching doctrine. Friends, doctrine tells us that every chapter, every verse, every line of this Word of God is truth. Whether we want it to be truth or whether we don't doesn't negate the fact that it is the truth of God. If I believed for a minute that this Bible wasn't completely accurate, I'd step out of this pulpit and never come back. But I believe that this Bible is the truth of God. And it's given to us to help us live better. How many of you want to live better? Well, we all do. Now, churches and their pastors, I think, need to get back to the old path of preaching the Word of God. Now, it's great to have great music, but we can't have that all the time in every service. And I'm praying that no one here is just coming for the music. You need to come to hear the Word of God. Part of a Facebook group that's called Church Sound and Media Text. And I know, I know Jacob is a part of that same group because I've seen him on there before. And i got to tell you, I don't know how you feel about it, Jacob, but some of the posts in that group would lead you to believe that you're going to a rock concert instead of church on Sunday morning. With all the lighting, the fog machines, the use of lasers, other technology that's being used in many churches. And I'm convinced after reading from some of those group posts that many of those sound techs, I'm not talking about you, George, or Leonard back there. You, you haven't been in there yet. Many of those sound techs are coming for the sole purpose of seeing the show. And, and here's what scares me. My fear is that many that come to those churches are coming just to see a show. They need to be coming to hear the Word of God. Don't be offended by what I'm getting ready to say. If having lasers and fog machines, all kinds of other technology is what it takes to put butts in the seats in our churches, we're probably going to have a small church. We're probably going to have a small church because that's not the gimmickry that we're going to use to bring people to this church. They're going to come for the right reasons because sinners need their toes stepped on once in a while. They need to be brought to saving faith by hearing the truth of God's Word. How many of you have ever had the Word of God step all over you? Okay, now honestly, how many of you needed it? Same number of hands. We understand that. There's not a lot of people understand that anymore. If they say something offensive that they don't like to hear from the pulpit, guess what they do? They go to the next church until they hear something there that they don't like, and then they find the next church. Friends, God is looking for people who are committed. People who are committed to the church. The walls of discipleship and sacrificial service and things like tithing and giving to missions, those things need to be rebuilt in our churches and in our people. The wall of prioritizing Sunday as being a day set to set aside for worship, that's another wall that needs to be rebuilt. I know that there are many that don't feel that way, and many even followers of Jesus don't see the the point or the need of being in church on Sunday, but I'm just going to tell you how it affects me. 
Within the last month, I've had to miss Sunday twice. Going through a lot of stuff, process of missing those two Sundays. And let me tell you something. I felt the need to be back with my church family and to have their fellowship and to do what we call Sunday service. I needed it. I miss it when I'm not here. And I just have a feeling that there are a few of you out there who are just like me. How many of you found that if you miss one or two Sundays in a row, it's easier to miss the third Sunday? Come on. Come on. We need to prioritize being in church because it affects my daily life Monday through Saturday. You know, we, we, need, to, we need to organize our, our, our lives to where we prioritize the things that are important to God. i got to move on. But verse 4, Leonard put that up there. Verse 4 of Nehemiah 3, if you have it. There's a word in verse 4 that is translated for us as the word repaired. Uh, There it is. And next to them, Miramoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. Next to them, Meshulam, the son of Barakiah, son of Mesh. Well, you got it. Repaired. Look, look at all the times the word repaired repaired is used. As a matter of fact, if you go through this entire chapter, you're going to find that the word repaired is used an amazing 38 times within the scope of one chapter. It means to make strong or firm. And what that says to me is that Nehemiah is not interested in some kind of a quick fix wall. He wants to establish something that will last. He doesn't want a whitewashed wall that will crumble in a few years. He wants to build something to the glory of God that will stand the test of time. I want to build a church for Jesus made up of people who are going to last People who are deeply rooted and grounded in the vision of that church. They're not easily uprooted. People who don't pick up and leave every time their feathers get ruffled. People who are rooted in the Word of God. And that's why we teach doctrine. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it. And not only did Nehemiah have superior organizational skills, he utilized splendid cooperation. People work together to get the job done. Here in this third chapter, there are 38 individuals who are named, 42 different groups identified as being rebuilders and repairers of those walls, and that's just the small representation of those who were leaders. There were many under their leadership who brought this rebuilding project to pass. Now, I'm not one for fairy tales, but this applied here. How many of you have ever heard the story of the little red hen? If you haven't, I'm going to give it to you. A little red hen finds a grain of wheat and asks for help from the other farmyard animals to plant it. Who will plant this, she asked. Not I, said the cat. Not I, said the goose. Not I, said the rat. Then I will, said little red hen. So she buried the wheat in the ground. After a while, it grew up yellow and ripe. The wheat is ripe now, said little red hen. Who will cut and thresh it? Not I, said the cat. Not I, said the goose. Not I, said the rat. 
Then I will, said little red hen. So she cut it with her bill and threshed it with her wings. And then she asked, who will take this wheat to the mill? Not I, said the cat. Not I, said the goose. Not I, said the rat. Then I will, said little red hen. So she took the wheat to the mill where it was ground. And she carried the flour home. You know where this is going. Who will make some bread with me? With this flower, she asked. Not I, said the cat. Not I, said the goose. Not I, said the rat. Then I well, said little red hen. So she made and baked the bread. And then she said, now we shall see who will eat this bread. We will, said cat, goose, and rat. I'm quite sure you would, said little red hen, if you could get it. Then she called her chicks, and they ate up all the bread. None left for the cat or the goose or the rat. Now, I'm trusting that you folks get the moral of that story. But just in case you don't, let me explain it to you this way. All the previous non-participants eagerly volunteered to eat what the little red hen had worked hard to make possible. However, she declines their help, stating that since no one aided her in the preparatory work, she and her chicks ate it all gone for themselves. What am I saying and how does it relate here? Before I do that, let me give you an alternate ending to the story designed by me. Having planted, harvested, and ground the wheat, the little red hen had flour with which to bake bread, and that evening some guests arrived and there was nothing to serve but bread. The little red hen had been so busy doing things that others could have helped her with that she failed to plan and make a main course. And her meal, therefore, was a disaster. Sadly, the little red hen went into a deep depression and lived unhappily ever after. Now, of course, that's a facetious version of my ending, but here's the reason I'm giving you that. The moral of the story with my ending, a good leader will get other people involved. To do it yourself, all by yourself, is the chicken way out. What I'm saying to you is that often we pride ourselves in our work ethic because we do, we've done it all. But it's not wise to do that. A leader should work. A leader should set the example. But the worst thing that a leader can do is to try to do it all him, him or herself. Remember what I said in part three of this sermon series? I'm sure you don't, so I'll remind you. No man can do it all. But everyone can do something. The great D.L. Moody once said it this way. I'd rather get 100 men to work than to do the work of 100 men because I'd burn out and it wouldn't be done very well anyway. Now I'm closing with this thought. I want you to look at the latter part of chapter 3. And notice how Nehemiah's team worked together to do this job, rebuilding the walls in 52 days. 52 days. And they did it well. 
They're divided into four groups. First, there are the leaders who set the example. And those leaders, in the case of Nehemiah's story, are the priests. They aren't used to manual labor, but they jumped in and they got their hands dirty rebuilding the walls. They didn't say to Nehemiah, Nehemiah, sorry, we don't do that kind of work. My guess is that if the priests hadn't jumped in and got their hands dirty, I doubt anyone else would have joined in the work to help. It's not do as I say, it's do as I do. The second group is the faithful followers who did their job. Over and over in that passage in chapter number 3, you'll see the phrase, next to them or next to him. It's used 15 times in the course of this chapter. And there's a principle in that. Every section of the wall, every inch of the wall that needed to be rebuilt was covered. This wall was being built for protection. And so any kind of hole in the wall was just as dangerous as having no wall at all. Can I just say to you, friends, that it breaks the heart of God, I believe, and it also breaks the heart of church leadership, to see holes in the wall. And by holes in the wall, I mean people who are not carrying their load, jobs that are left undone, gaps that are left in the master plan that God has for His church. There are needs in the church. There are needs in this church. And not any one of us should expect someone else to do it. Some things won't happen. Some things won't get done until you or I do them. We each have a role. The third group is the ones I will call the shirkers, the ones who wouldn't get involved. In the case of this story, it was the nobles of the day. There are people like that in every church, people who sit back and watch. They might attend faithfully. They might even give to the church, but they won't get involved personally. Let me give you a question. If this church were a wall, would there be a hole where you are standing? Is it right to come and enjoy the fellowship and the preaching and often even in the food, but never get involved personally? I can tell you that there's enough to do for everyone to have a role, for everyone to get involved, and much will be left undone until everyone gets on board. And I close with just a quick illustration. This is so powerful. Back in 1915, a man named Leon Trotsky, some of you have perhaps studied about Leon Trotsky in school. Leon Trotsky was to become the future leader of the Bolshevik Revolution that would one day lead the nation of Russia into atheistic communism. Leon Trotsky grew up in the city of Chicago, Illinois. And one Sunday, he was invited to a Sunday school class at a particular church that a friend of his attended. Trotsky was a young man who was in search of meaningful ideas in his life. That particular Sunday, the Sunday school teacher of that particular class didn't show up. And not only didn't show up, but didn't make arrangements for someone else to cover his teaching in his absence. The class sat there in an empty room with nothing to do. Trotsky's biography tells us that that was the last time that Trotsky ever set foot in a church. And just two years later, he began the process of leading Russia into communism. How might things have perhaps been different if on that day, on that Sunday, standing before him 
in a Sunday school class was a spirit-filled, Bible-drilled, victory-thrilled man of God. That Sunday school teacher missed his place in the wall. And the result was a hole in the wall. And the world has forever felt the effect of that hole being left in the wall. Just one more group. Those who were willing to do more. Verse 11 speaks of repairing another section. Verses 19, verses 21, verses 24 use the same phrase, people who were repairing another section. They'd finished what they had been given to do, and then they fell back in line to help make up for those who didn't do their job in the way that it should have been done. (laughs) What would this church, Trinity Faith Church, do without people who are multitaskers? This lady sitting right over here, she's a multitasker. This guy sitting over here, he's a multitasker. People who are doing different things that need to be done. And friends, I don't want to burn anybody out, and I don't want to take people out of too many church services, but it's a reality that if something needs done, if we have a church dinner around here, Belinda's out of here before I ever get started preaching just to make sure everything's in order back there. Jacob, on Wednesday nights, he's upstairs leading the youth in worship. He's here on Sunday morning leading us in worship. Multitasking. We need more. We need more. And God has a role for each and every one of us. We all have tools that God has given to us. And those tools are either going to be used for one of two things. Either stumbling blocks or stepping stones. I want you to be used as a stepping stone. Worship team, would you come please? Now I realize, I I realize this is not a message designed specifically for unsaved people. It's primarily for the church. And here's why I preach it, friends. Here's why we're doing this entire series. I want us to have a church that is working together to reach the lost of this community. Every one of us doing our specific role. Every one of us using the gifts that God has given to us to build His church and to see people getting saved. So this message is for for those of you who are already a part of His church, this church. But these messages have to be preached every once in a while because I understand it's easy to just sit back and say, hey, I've done my share. I'm going to let somebody else have a turn. Well, that may be true, and that we do appreciate the fact that you've done your share. But if something doesn't get done because you're the only one that God's gifted with the ability to do that, there's a hole in the wall. I don't want to see any holes in the wall. Would you stand with me and bow your heads, please? The atmosphere is changing now. 
For the Spirit of the Lord is here. The evidence is all around that the Spirit of the Lord is here. Spirit of God, I don't want anyone walking out of here thinking that I'm disappointed in them. That's, that's not it at all. I don't want anyone walking out of here feeling bad, feeling that I've pointed a finger and indicated that they're not doing what they need to be doing. What I desire, Spirit of God, is, is that you quicken their hearts. Help them to look around and see the possibilities that could become accomplished if they just make themselves available. God, I believe within every church body, no matter how big that church body or how small, you place within that church body the people that are needed to accomplish your purposes in that church. God, we don't, need to, we don't need to reach outside of the church and bring in somebody that has been educated and, and, and ha, ha, has attained great abilities to, to lead youth or to lead children. God, you've placed those people right here. And they're doing their job. But Lord, if children and youth and Sunday mornings were the extent of the ministry that you want to go forth from this church, that'd be a tough sell to anybody looking for a, a church that's on fire for you. Because Lord, you want, you want to reach the parents of those kids. You want to reach our neighbors. You want to reach the people that are struggling in life just to survive people that are dealing with addictions and people that are steeped in sin. And God, they just may need to see you in any one of us. And Spirit of God, that's what I'm asking today is that you reveal to us the gifts that you have given to us to reach your church, to reach, your pe reach people with your church. So, Lord, when we sing about the atmosphere changing, what that really means to me this morning is that we've had a more of a seminar speech this morning than we've had a sermon. Lord, that's sometimes necessary, but now, now we're at that portion of the service where all of my motivation, all of my ability to try to recruit, it's useless. So, Spirit of God, we need you. We need you to speak to us powerfully, individually. Let us know that miracles, miracles can take place through any one of us we'll just make ourselves available for you to use.
you're here this morning. And quite honestly, the Spirit of God is speaking to you at this moment, and He's saying, I have a purpose for you. There's more that you can do than what you're currently doing, and I can't even imagine, ear can't even hear all the things that God wants to do through you. Are you willing to let Him this morning? If so, join me because I'm the one going to be the first one to respond to that invitation. Lord, here I am. Here I am, Jesus. Use me. Work miracles through me. God, I'm not talking about the miracles of going out to the cemetery and raising somebody from the dead. I'm talking about finding someone who's walking around dead spiritually and giving them the words of life that will bring them to life again, new life in Christ, where the old things have passed away and all things have become new. Use us for that, Jesus. Use us for that, Jesus.